Welcome to In the Arena, a show where entrepreneurs and leaders take us behind the headlines and into the biggest crises of their careers and lives and how they made it to the other side. I'm Jesse Janae, a startup founder and your host. I just imagine him sitting there being so convinced that everyone else in the world was just too scared to do what he did. And that of course the rules are wrong and there's no such thing as ethics or morals. There's yeah. just power and who's willing to be bold enough to be like, like really convinced even now to probably the fucking day he dies that oh, he just happened to, to, to get caught this time, but he'd do it again a hundred times. And, and only mm -hmm. people who like, like speaking of in the arena that like this, in, this man in the arena to the extreme. Today, Eric and I are excited to have Nathaniel Whitmore as our guest. Nathaniel had a front row seat to one of the most spectacular scandals in recent startup history when he led marketing at FTX. Nathaniel, to be clear, took no part in the activities that led to FTX's downfall, but his insights and observations are equal parts horrifying and enlightening. Personally, I enjoyed his firsthand account of what it was like to witness so many well-intended employees, many of whom invested heavily into FTX themselves, lose substantial money overnight. It's easy to forget how many vectors of collateral damage there are in a situation like this. This is a hold on to your seat episode, so let's jump right in. Oh, and P.S., Nathaniel runs an amazing podcast network himself called The Breakdown Network. We'll link to his daily shows about AI and Bitcoin in the show notes. Nathaniel, you have been and remain a long trusted voice in the crypto ecosystem via your writings, your podcasts, you took a role, a marketing role at FTX a few years ago. You did the Super Bowl ad. That was you. Uh, you you didn't touch anything else besides marketing. You had nothing to do with customer funds. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> all, all of this uh, is a disclaimer. Yeah, uh, yeah. All, all the fraud was unknown to you. You you, you cover this in your great podcast episode uh, called Sam Bankman Fraud, <laughs> where you chronicle exactly how FTX went from forty billion to nothing within a few days. And we see this episode as a bit of a part two. We, we want to know exactly what it was like to be in the arena uh, as this was all going down. Yeah, so absolutely. with that as a backdrop, where were you when you first realized that there might be some fraud going on? So uh, I, I, I know exactly where I was actually, because it was quite notable. So I was down in um, Uruguay, actually. My mm -hmm. wife's family has a house down there. We actually got married there. Well, we got married secretly on a boat from crossing from San Francisco mm. to Sausalito. But then two years later, we had an actual wedding nice. uh, down there. It's a place that's super, super special to her parents, especially. And we actually have the same anniversary uh, as they do, uh, oh, which is November, November 4th. Um, we're the fourth generation of Jesse's family to, to have that anniversary. Wow. And wow. so we will often celebrate it uh, together. And my daughter's birthday is November 1st. So we always have a big Halloween kind of themed birthday party. So we have been having a grand old week down there, right? Where I was kind of like semi disengaged. Uh, and, sure, you know, lots of weird. personal stuff. That's yeah, fun. right. Like yeah. daughter turns four with a Ghostbusters birthday party. <laughs> um, that was sort of around then was the first inkling. So the, the Alameda balance sheet was published, I think, on Thursday, which was like November 3rd or, or, or 2nd or 3rd. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, I wasn't paying that much attention to it because, mm -hmm. like I said, I was kind of one, one part of my brain out. And 
Alameda was a frequent albatross, you know, around FTX's yeah. neck. I mean, it was something that I, you know, I had asked about very early before joining was, you know, is there actually kind of separation? And we were always assured that there was. But of course, it was like whenever Alameda came in the news, it was never a good thing. And Got I think it. it's quite natural holding us, even, even if everything had been completely on the up and up for the entirety of the the the, dur the duration of, of FTX's life, simply having a trading arm as as an exchange or or something a, a closely related trading firm, I think naturally would have beget suspicion about whether they're trading against you know the exchange. So it was never something when when Alameda kind of innuendo flared up, it was always something that was sort of bad from a PR perspective, but wasn't um, unreasonable, right? Let's put it that way. And so you kind of wait for it to blow over and you continue to be reassured by Sam that you know there's, there's nothing to it, blah, 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 blah. And so I saw that there was something about Alameda, but I, I didn't dig into it and, and you know kind of went on our merry way. Then on Sunday, CZ sends out his tweet basically mm -hmm. saying, you know, we're going to liquidate everything. And at first, I think I had the same reaction that everyone at, at FTX had, which was, this guy's trying to kill us because he knew exactly what was going to happen. Like that tweet, right. it was a foregone conclusion that FTT was absolutely fucking dead. And you're, once and you're he in said Uruguay. That. And, and, but like, can you, like, are you sitting on your in-laws couch? Like, like what just, I want the scene. Like, <laughs> I want to know, like, where like what like how what is it how like where, what are you experiencing while you when it really dawns on you you know well so th so the 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 cz tweet is happening we were doing all sorts of various things that sunday we're like so sure. you're like there's doing activities so with we're, your family the, and if you, if you really want the visual of this place it's a place called jose ignacio and there's a restaurant there uh called loasia which has been called like the best seaside restaurant in the world mm -hmm. and it's it's literally this sort of like Atlantic, like gritty Idyllic. coast, uh, you yeah. know, driftwood style. Um, it's kind of like the Hamptons for for celebrities from Buenos Aires and in, in Argentina. Mm. Okay. And okay. so like that's, that's the, yeah, that, that's the setting. And so <laughs> so Sunday that CZ sends these tweets and you watch, you know, FTT start to crater. And a lot of folks have a ton of compensation, including myself, in in yep. FTT. And so this is a guy who's messing with our money basically. And it, and it feels very hostile. It feels very aggressive. Yep. CZ had been getting more and more aggressive with FTX, but Sam had been very loose lipped with his, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, attacks on CZ on Twitter as well, including doing some like really, really immature tweets that, that were sort yeah. of notable from, from a couple of weeks before that. Uh, and then Carolyn sends her stupid $22 tweet, which again, like this is before <laughs> there's some big suspicion of wrongdoing or something like that. This is just watching these folks play stupid games on Twitter. And you're in marketing. You know? And so you're kind of like, do you actually feel some like responsibility where you're like, why? I don't feel like, responsibility. I feel like, okay. why the fuck aren't they asking me for like yeah, yeah, help on yeah. whether not, they should not, be doing and I don't this, mean right? Personal, yeah. And I don't mean personal yeah, like, responsibility. I just mean like some kind of like. Hey guys, like clean at, this up. At like, that point, at that point, I was like, is there any, like, can I help with the communications? Like, for like, the love of God. Do you guys need you know, a like, hand? Like, yes. you're kind of like, yeah. from, Just, from Uruguay, you're uh, like, hey. Any extra, any extra eyeballs on, you know, the, the, the message before they get like, sent out. Do you guys out, want me you know? to read your tweets or anything? Yeah. Like, just I'm a, here. You know, just a nice little double check. Like, nothing, you know. Um, no, unfor I mean, unfortunately, like, and this is, you know, in retrospect, there are things that like didn't seem like red flags that are red flags. And I think everyone at FTX has experienced this, like the extent to which Sam didn't respect leaders in his own company 
sure. about basically anything and always assumed that he knew better. Like I couldn't yeah. actually have imagined a scenario in which Sam would ask my opinion about mm. whether like whether he should tweet a thing, what it should say. You know, there were like three or four people who he cared about yeah. their opinion. And it was the three or four people who have basically all pled guilty uh, to various charges at this point. So, yeah. but yes, to, 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 to get into it, Jesse, I, at that point I was like, okay, these idiots are just, it, again, like it seemed like some there. big ego game, you know, because yeah. Sam and CZ sure. had been sniping like at each other for weeks. just like going at each other and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to have to like participate in cleaning this up. It's like the feeling maybe at the time. 100%. And so, yeah. and so everyone on Slack, Slack is the, like the beating heart of how the FTX, you know, <laughs> community ch- or the, the team chats, which is, you know, pretty normal. And so everyone's like, you know, the, there's a, a rise in tweets, lots and lots of questions, especially after CZ. And people are asking publicly, you know, Sam, what's going on? And this starts to kind of get louder over the course of Sunday night. And, yeah. um, on and, Slack, and you mean? Yes, on Slack. Okay. And where it's very notable to me is it's not that weird that Sam isn't responding to like, you know, the folks in marketing or whatever, but we started to see the institutional sales folks also asking questions and saying, Hey, you know, like our big clients who are trading hundreds of millions of dollars a day are asking what's going on. That's when I started to ask myself like, okay, well, like, if he's not talking to us and he's not talking to the biggest clients of FTX, like, what is he doing and who is he talking to right now? But then it's a Sunday. So does a part of you as a reasonable person go like, maybe he's at a park? Like, no, I don't know. I mean, I know it's like a not, dumb not, thing to say. Not with Sam. <laughs> but just, not it's a Sam. Sunday. Okay, I'm just yeah. checking. If you no, have any excuses in your mind still. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I didn't have, so I didn't have excuses, but I also didn't have explanations at this sure. point. You're kind so of then, like in the dark. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, silence is always notable, but it's when, when there's a crisis situation, I think from any leader, but silence is extra notable when it's someone as loquacious as Sam. And, sure, and as, silence is like strange at this point. Yes, yeah. silence yeah. is 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 so contra to everything uh, about him. Uh, and so then Monday hits, and Monday there's still no information, and it it seems like there's a lot of withdrawals happening. Like even people who aren't paying attention to that or don't pay attention to that are starting to get you know from various Slack messages that are getting more frantic. Like institutional sales team is getting more frantic, but then a thing happens that is sort of the next level for me, which is I started to get messages from other folks in the industry that I knew and had different relationships with asking if I had heard anything about this emergency FTX raise. And, you know, it doesn't take, uh, look, Sam had been extraordinarily loud with the team about what he said our cash position was, which is basically that we had $2 billion. And this all made sense in the context of, you know, we were making, we made about a billion dollars in 2021. We were on a pretty similar rate. We hadn't grown, but we hadn't declined significantly in, in 2022. Uh, we had raised, you know, a, mil- a billion and a half. Um, so like these numbers like tracked, mm-hmm. okay. like, yeah. And and again, it was literally been two weeks earlier that he had said we basically have you know two two billion dollars in cash that we're sitting on. That's why our position is good. And he's like, I might you know I'm kind of always constantly thinking about raising more, but it's in the context of you know if we want to do and pursue bigger acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera, Sounds et cetera. Reasonable to so, agree, yeah. Right. So uh, so when I start hearing that there's an emergency raise, it literally can only mean one thing, which is that. Uh, Sam has lied and customer deposits were used because that's the only, like, 
you know, in a, in a world in which it's the only plausible explanation in a world in which yeah. customer funds were actually segregated the, the way that they were supposed to, you don't need to raise money. Like there can be delays and withdrawal, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why things can be slowed, but that, that those assets are there to be recalled at will. You know, it's, this is not a fractional reserve bank. This is not a, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a very fundamentally different thing. So, so, okay. So then going back to uh, Eric's original, like there's a moment where that exact thought hits you. Like you so said, you hear they're doing this emergency raise. You're not maybe sure if it's true yet. Like this is like chatter effectively because nothing is like just firmly, it's not being announced by SBF or something. Um, but is there a moment for you personally where you go like, wait, my personal, like I've got what, personal money. Like, when do you I'm, tell your wife? Like, hey. <laughs> yeah, I well, I, wanted, I still want to identify this moment where it truly <laughs> hits you that that's a fraud, like that there's potentially a real fraud. And then actually my next question is, who do you tell first? Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's like another coworker. But it's just like sort of like when it really like gets in your brain. Well, our, our whole our whole family knew. So my, yeah. my in-laws are, are sort of very plugged in to our live. And, you know, we talk about this stuff. So they, they knew on Sunday that I was stressing about it. I was also down in Uruguay, uh, with, um, my best friend Jameson and his wife. So they, they were there. And so, you know, they're, they're part kind of part of this space as well. Uh, you know, at least nominally. And so it was, it was a flutter, but again, at, at first it was, why are you messing with our money CZ? And then by, but by Monday it was starting to get much more, much more nervous. And so, I think that um, the logical conclusion when I start, like the people that I had heard from around this FTX raise, it wouldn't have, they're not the type of people who are going to just like kind of errantly pass something on. Um, but, you know, I'm not like, and again, like Sam is saying nothing for all of Monday, they were saying nothing. I think on Monday night, he might've said, hey, sorry, I haven't been able to communicate much. I hoping too soon. Uh, but then on Tuesday- and that's like on so, Slack. That's just like a weird yes, Slack, which yes. could be written at that point. I like, I don't know how- Par like paranoid or, or like you know your mind wanders if it's like me it's like at that point that could be like written by like any like someone else like it's just like i don't know like if he hasn't been communicating for so long which is so strange like you start wondering like literally what is going on yeah well so tuesday morning comes around and uh our withdrawals have stopped they've been halted for for certain assets and so that's the point at which all right it's, all right, it's done like it's it's yeah. definitely it was definitely yeah. it was the whole sam lied thing at that point you know and like that had sort of been the, the soft conclusion of monday night and was the large conclusion by tuesday and then you know two hours later <laughs> i was right before we were, we were sitting down for lunch sam tweets that binance <laughs> has bought the company and this right. is before he said anything on Slack. Everyone in the company finds out that Binance is acquiring us uh, 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 by by watching him on Twitter. He then says on on Slack a few minutes later, "Hey, you know, uh, I'll tell you more soon." And we we have a kind of standing Tuesday all hands. So someone's like, "Are we going to do the all hands?" Get on the all hands. Sam basically says, "Yep, uh, we're selling to Binance. Going to need all hands on deck to have them go over our our stuff real soon." And it's like, okay. does your all hands have like a, so I have more questions about your Slack settings now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> does your, does your, does your, was there like, is this stuff just happening on like a general channel? Like some of these default channels or were there like creative channel names? I love creative channel names. And then, and then was there like people act actively like kind of sub slacking him? Like, I don't believe this or, or were people trying to still be respectful within the company at that, at that point? 
there was a pretty big spread between so this is all happening on general public channels i'm i mean i'm sure that all back cha- every back channel that had access to sam up. was uh was absolutely blowing up you know um uh and so there there's a range of emotions i think going on with people um where there's some folks who are trying to rally the troops and you know we fight on and whatever and then there's other folks who are like you're literally giving us no information still about things um <laughs> there's a uh a, a really kind of like tense point because um there are a huge number of international uh folks who um have all of their money on there and whose entire lives are are kind of intertwined with FTX and at one point i actually stepped in to ask if people were going to still be getting paid uh despite all of sort of the the withdrawals being halted because i knew that those folks like they they didn't have the freedom to ask that cuz they 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 can't like risk you know retribution for being the person who steps up and says something on slack so it was it was messy it was messy 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 that's like this dimension you know many companies have blow ups um and and there's many uh crises moments in companies but rare and often they have personal ramification on people's jobs like oh i'm gonna lose my job um it's gonna affect my personal finances but i but i do think that just really bringing into focus how this is not just like oh i'm gonna lose my job this is people having their entire banking world like tied up in the one entity um and this whole token everything is is actually quite unique um maybe not as unique in the crypto world but um but it just seems like there's people it dawning on people that it's not just my job I'm going to lose, but I'm losing funds or my whole livelihood or my access to banking is like so extreme. Like, so I'm just serious. I'm just curious if there's any other personal stories you remember from that, um, of what people were experiencing. I, I, so, so not as it was happening because it was sort of something that was pretty far away from, from me. Um, but it, it, it is in retrospect, one of the more reprehensible things about, Sam's behavior was the extent to which he <laughs> he really aggressively pushed people, you know, in the Bahamas and on the Africa team to just keep all their money with FTX. Uh, the extent to which, you know, there was a there was a point at which he sort of very quote unquote magnanimously uh, allowed anyone in the company to invest in the company, and and FTX was actually like quite stingy with equity, uh, and and their their compensation was very weird. It was sort of a you know, very low kind of base, but then they promised to have like, you know, really crazy kind of bonus cycles. And that was really the only way that people got equity. So it was a lot of uh, hoping that you were good enough that that cycle to to kind of get equity. And there was this one time uh, around one of the raises where basically Sam was like, hey, you can, you know, anyone in the company can put in up to, it was like up to $250,000 and tons and tons of employees like put their, you know, the $40,000 that they had saved for a down payment because they were a designer, you know, like into FTX equity because Sam was offering it at a half, half the price basically of, you know, what, what the current round was. He was offering it at the series, you know, 1A or whatever and, you know, 17 million Holy or 17 crap. billion valuation. So he like knowing what he knew and also doing that simultaneously is, is, is pretty, I mean, it's a lot of despicable things, but that one was pretty high. 
this on my this list. what you're just saying now and then in general like i don't know if you have the answer to this but like what is what was like hr at ftx like like what were they like didn't exist you know involved they just didn't exist okay no there, there that, actually literally was not even a single person really like but yeah. actually that 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 really does surprise me like i actually thought it'd be like you'd just say like oh they're like really uninformed or something because it's like as someone who's run a startup like it's hard to get a, like to not have anyone in hr i mean employees like really vocally ask for people team contacts and stuff so i don't like actually kind of like how does that work like how did like who did your did you do like an exit interview like who sent your paperwork over like if they don't have it like how did even those functions work at ftx so it was different in different parts of the company um i came in through the blockfolio acquisition so blockfolio had been a marketing consulting client and so blockfolio the entire time still so uh, technically i was actually an employee of blockfolio the the entire time uh and blockfolio had a person for a while who handled those types of details. They weren't really HR, but they were the sort of like operations stuff. FTX had operations folks. They just didn't have anyone who could actually deal with sort of employee needs. And then, you know, in different parts. So when they did the Bahamas thing, I think there were people in the Bahamas who were good at solving HR type issues for the Bahamas and relocation. But again, they weren't like HR. They were, you know, just generic operations people. I I I do just like really find that surpri like surprising in the sense that there wasn't more vocal like I guess the way they separated employees or had different ge geographies and stuff maybe helped they them have that structure just I don't know it's just uh, in in my experience like with every hire or something there's just so much active vocalization of like we need HR um so uh, it's fascinating you have to remember <laughs> that this was a for a time, it was, you know, one of, if not the fastest growing startup, certainly in terms of revenue uh, in history. And it was a, if you get on the rocket ship, you just cling on for dear life, your nails pedaling along the sides of the walls. Everything in that environment could be written away as just like yep. the utter chaos of what was happening. And like the Dennis Rodman effect. Like, <laughs> yeah, people, people didn't feel People didn't feel empowered yeah. to ask anything, but they also were like, they didn't feel entitled to because it was sort of this crazy accidental thing. Mm -hmm. And that was especially amplified by the fact that there was such a fetishization, you know, uh, of, mm -hmm. of small employee count at FTX. Mm -hmm. It was something that, you know, Sam talked constantly about, about how much FTX did with so few people that it, it sort of really got into people's, you know, psyches. I, I also think too that, you know, I, I was pretty privileged, like, you know, I'm a semi-adult with two kids who lives in, you know, Hudson Valley, New York, and had kind of determined, like, I didn't ever want to work for a single company again, and just happened to kind of find my way to FTX. I kept my podcast the whole time as a, as a pre-requirement mm -hmm. of, of joining. And so I was um, emotionally able to it was a it was a fascinating experience that I was excited to be a part of. I thought, you know, I, I've always felt that exchanges are the most powerful institutions in crypto. And I thought that the idea of being able to help drag one to the good or be a part of kind of, you know, uh, one of the good guys and actually sort of be a force for good was worth kind of, you know, changing some plans for. But I never had the sort of um, 
this is my big thing or this is sort of, you know, some uh, like kind of idolization that was sort of much more normal for, you know, a 22 year old, 23 year old kid who is one of their first big things. They're in the Bahamas offices. They're feeling all this crazy energy. They're seeing like the most insane wealth around them. Like, you know, it it, it really, it's not surprising to me that, well, it's not surprising one that there wasn't more stuff brought up as it was happening, but also, you know, if you've seen kind of people sharing their stories, uh, post, post FTX, it wasn't like they, they weren't feeling these things. It was just like, they didn't really have the resources to do anything about them. And, and everything, anyone in that company who tried to kind of move things, you know, positively from a kind of management perspective was pretty systematically shut down. When did employees turn on SBF or, or, or publicly challenged to the fact that they like, you know, publicly lost confidence or, uh, or even pri- internally lost confidence? Sale, sale to CZ. That's when big questions started. It was so outlandish. She still wasn't answering questions. There were huge questions of whether, you know, like there are, there are, I mean, basically the, the folks who were still, the folks who had the option to make different decisions, that's the point at which they were like, really considering what their options were, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know for me that week, uh, I was basically sitting on my hands for a couple of days to see like, is there anything that's going to turn out? I mean, it seemed, it seemed almost, it seemed from the get go that it was nonsensical that, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Binance acquisition was such a farce, you know, and it was clearly a farce. It was, it was even announced as like a handshake deal. There were no terms, you know, Sam admitted that there were no terms that he didn't know anything. It was like, CZ is absolutely going to take this chance to screw you in public again, even if there aren't things on our books, you know, but it took less than 24 hours. Binance took one look at things and was like, absolutely not. We're out. Goodbye. You know, so like Wednesday, we're here at at the same position and and it had really started to calcify behind the scenes. Obviously, a lot of this we've, we've kind of heard separately, but the almost immediately as when that Binance thing, it was, you know, the U.S. and the international team had always sort of slightly been at loggerheads. You know, Brett, when he was at FTX, really wanted to create true separation and and ultimately sort of was a casualty of that not being uh, allowed by Sam. Um, and, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it was sort of the, the, the U.S. legal team in particular were getting, you know, b- behind the scenes pushing for the outcome, which eventually which ha- happened with the bankruptcy. So, it, you know, it, it didn't take long. Yeah, like obviously, well, I'm guessing you can tell me if I'm wrong uh, during that week or what have you, you were, um, you know, traveling with family and these things you've already said the but uh, were you ever did you ever go to the Bahamas office or any office? I don't really know where all the offices might be located, but were you ever like physically there? Like I'm I'm just uh, again, I have this like kind of um, curiosity about what what was normal? So it's easy to talk about what was abnormal now, especially in hindsight, looking back and like all these like bombastic things and fraud, et cetera. But I'm just curious, like, I'm just like, just did the office have LaCroix? Like what else was normal about this startup? Like, let's just say like in the lens of startups, like what would you say might surprise people by how normal it was before this went down? So the, uh, I never went to the Bahamas. Um, okay. I, I went to the Chicago office once for a couple of days. That was the okay. only, ever, that was the only time I met Sam in person. Um, okay. and is it, I mean, the Chicago office is a super normal office to your point. It had, you know, it had all manner of different fizzy water, was right. Of all flavors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and it's a bunch of young people working really hard and, you know, heads down and kind of having little side conversations. I mean, it felt like any other high growth startup that, that you'd ever been in, you know? The difference between a startup that 
has product market fit and a startup that doesn't ha- tends to have very little at the early stages to do with whether they're run super well and whether versus like whether they happen to have product market fit, right? Like you can have like strong product market fit startups that are really well run just because that set of leaders happen to be good at running companies. But you can also have the inverse, like really well run companies that just are, you know, still kind of struggling. And, and, and so it was sort of like, it was well within the band of, normal feeling for if for people who had been in in startups which are kind of inherently chaotic and stuff especially when you uh graded it on the scale of um sam had so much evidence that he was correct based on kind of how the world treated him that you kind of calibrated his eccentricities in terms of how correct he thought he was about organizational structure and stuff for that. Like I, the, the whole time that I was there, I was like, you're a, a fucking moron about how to run a company, but like, whatever, like, you're, you know, clearly you've been right about a lot of stuff and totally. that's an easy, that's a, that's a problem you could solve day in and day out with, with high growth startups. You know, like I, I think in some ways, like, Brett leaving was one of the more nerve wracking moments on that because it was pretty clear. And for me, you know, there was a point probably six months before Brett left. So Brett, for, for those of you who are listening who don't know the situation, Brett Harrison was the president of, of the U.S. organization. And I kind of just assumed that Brett was brought in to be like the Cheryl, you know, the Cheryl Sandberg. And, you know, Brett's not old. I mean, Brett is actually younger than me by a couple of years, but he's, you know, relative to FTX average age, you know, he had gravitas, he had experience, he had, you know, run teams of 100 people. Like, it seemed like he was brought in to be the the adult for the U.S. organization. Um, and, uh, and so when he left, that was like a moment of, uh Oh, but I think even more than that for me, like I, I kind of had this, you know, it felt very much like that's what he thought he was coming into. And he very quickly was rebuffed and learned that he too would have no sway in changing anything that Sam wanted to do. And he kind of, uh, adapted to that and just kind of, you know, he built like the whole stock product on his own, which is insane for the president of the U S organization to be spending like 80% of their time, you know, coding this platform because Sam won't let them have any other coders, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So anyways, but, but again, there's sort of, yeah. Do two things stand out for me as like a, like really like outside outsider that, that in hindsight seem abnormal to startup culture as well. And I'm curious if they were present in your knowledge at the time. Um, one is the, all this chatter about like the use of stimulants and like drug, like drug kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I'm not saying I've never known people who work at startups who use drugs. Like, obviously that's a false statement of mine, if I were to say that, but I don't know if like a, I don't, it was like a strange amount of information about like how this was normal or, or something like that. So I'm curious if there's any interactions or, or like any, uh, where you see this or anything. And the second one was political stuff. Like, uh, I think it's, I've definitely feel like it's kind of normal in startup culture for sometimes the founders or executives to be somewhat public about their politics and involve that in company culture a little bit. But it seems like this was like taken to 11, like, uh, and at least obviously the funding and different things like this. But I'm just curious, all these weird details have spilled out later, but at the time, are either of those things at all like visible to you as a normal employee? And, uh, I just, I don't know, more of a curiosity. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, and and maybe maybe let's do this. I, I'm sorry, I can't can't help be a podcast host here too. Like, to the extent this conversation could be actually useful for people, it's like let's yeah. let's almost open up the file for what are things that are real red flags that are meaningful sure. to notice for your own companies or the totally. experiences I'd you have, you right? Because yes. I, I think I think a lot of folks at FTX have spent a bunch of time thinking about like what were things what were things that like I couldn't have known, and so I'm not going to feel bad, and I'm not going to you know, bring that to the future. Like I saw again, Brad on an interview. Uh, I think the first big kind of long form interview he's done about this. And they were like, you know, would you, would you ask to see, uh, you know, would you now knowing what you knew, would you, would you have asked to see, um, you know, audited uh, financials or whatever? And he was like, well, one, uh, when's the last time you got hired by a startup and said, I can't say yes until I see your financials. And two, They've, it's come out that they were lying about the numbers to auditors. So it's like, what, what are you going to do? So those, that's firmly in the category of like, you can't go into every situation assuming that people are this base layer deceptive. Right. Becoming and, and paranoid right? isn't the right answer. Yeah. Right. It's not- but there are things, and I'll come back to them, that I think were really very clearly things that I should have listened to that are, I think, probably extractable for other people. So the, the two points that, that you asked about, one is the, the amphetamine drug thing. Um, so one, I was, like I said, I was never in, in, uh, in the Bahamas. So I don't know if it was more present there. It never, it was, I never even saw this discussed even a little bit. I never heard any sort of behind the scenes. Yeah. Now I was pretty, I was kind of, uh, uh I had my walls up in terms of like, I did not want to hear gossip from down there. And, you know, to the extent that anyone ever tried to pull me into like, Hey, did you hear about this thing that was happening down there? I was like, shut that off as fast as I could. Like I live here, you know, with my little family for a reason. Like, um, so I wouldn't have necessarily been the person who would hear about it, but it wasn't a super present thing. Now I think that, uh, I do think it's a meaningful thing to look into for other companies. Like, like, you know, there is, there's a whole generation of folks who were brought up on ADHD medication who still have those prescriptions that they don't give out the way that they used to, who are basically grandfathered into that system. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember when, when we were all in San Francisco in like 2012, 2013, like Adderall was way harder to get than like any other type of drug. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, I think it's kind of normal for startups to have people who are sort of like high, you know, intensity who are, you know, either recreational, not recreational, but just like kind of using those things. I, I do, I do think, you know, it clearly wasn't the only thing. I don't think that you start to kind of uh, commit this type of fraud just because of that. But it does seem like um, something that could have meaningfully impacted decision making. I think that those types of drugs impair judgment, you know? So I, th- I think it's, I yeah. think it's interesting. Um, on the, uh, on the front of, um, what was the second question? I'm sorry. The political, politics. Like the the politics. public political yeah. donations, like th- these kinds of things where it's like, it's not abnormal to have a political stance as a leader, but it feels it like too it went. fast. So yeah. I was, I was not super about it. Uh, well, one, it felt clumsy, like to the extent that the goal was, uh, was sort of uh, uh, alignment of crypto policy. It felt super clumsy, you know, and 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 dumb. Uh, and to the extent that it was sort of like broader, I think that like it was a known commodity, and part of why a lot of people were like interested in joining the company that Sam had this very different idea about how to leverage wealth to make an impact in the world. I, so it wasn't surprising that that's, I mean, he was pretty 
vocal about this right, from the effective the, from altruism. The and for the folks like uh, for for anyone listeners who don't know what that is maybe just take a moment on that but that that was like you know I, I was was effective altruism like discussed at like all hands and stuff was it actually yes. like in the company effective culture? altruism okay. and just the the um the sort of for good mentality was uh w- was very present it was a it was something that was discussed frequently it was sort of a known commodity it was something that people were excited about and so you know again you you have to remember that sam was as he was describing all these donations and things the way that he was framing them was pandemic preparedness and stuff you know it wasn't it wasn't like a partisan political issues it was sort of these big picture you know the the types of things that that cohort of of people were interested in so it it was it was surprising but also like again kind of aligned with uh with 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 how Sam was clearly there to leverage money to remake the world, right? Like that, that was his, his goal. And so even though it was like, it felt way too soon and way too fast and way too aggressive in some ways, it wasn't again, sort of out of sync with what you might have expected kind of, you know, with, with, with where, what his stated intentions were. Going back to that Tuesday when you're at the Zoom call and he talks about the CZ, the Binance acquisition, had you and employees taken out your money out of FTX yet? Like, what was the story with that? Uh, I don't. So I, I, I was in. I mean, I've been in New York the entire time, so I was. I was never allowed to use FTX. Uh, so thanks, Letitia James, you protected me. Uh, New York <laughs> Department of Financial Services. Um, so, so, but, but I don't. I think some FTXers might have, but I don't think it was the norm to assume. But once, once withdrawals went down on Tuesday, they never came back. So, I mean, there are like the head of institutional sales at FTX lost tens of millions of dollars in crypto assets there. You know, um, so it, it, I don't think a lot of people, if you were, uh, if you were paranoid enough to feel like you know on sunday or monday you had to get your assets out of ftx you probably wouldn't have been at ftx you know it was just so, yeah. It, yeah it's just too fast the so this is i mean this is the scale of like uh enron plus madoff combined right i mean it is just enormous i mean if you're if you're an sbf psychology if you're an sbf head which i'm sure you've tried to put yourself in and it's it's monday cl- clearly made a ton of gaffes and a ton of dumb Twitter stuff, but after CZ had, you know, owned him, is there anything like, is there anything that could have been saved really? Or is it, they're just done. They, they'd committed the fraud and there's, yeah. One of the biggest questions that was, that just blew people's brains and did for the first, you know, that first week. And then the first couple of weeks after was why not just let Alameda go? Like, why would you like FTX? It wasn't, like there were, I mean, it, FTX was genuinely making a ton of money. Like it was public about how big our volume was. Now some of that was juiced, uh, it turns out, and it was public about what the you know what what we the 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 exchange took for fees. It was making you know hundreds of millions of dollars a year, and I think a lot of employees were like, "Why wasn't that enough for you, Sam?" The problem, and and this is something that I've I felt immediately when I when it, so I I'm hyper rational and so I think about that and I was like, well, there's only one possible solution. Like these guys are smart people. Like the reason that they didn't let 
Alameda go then is because there was something fundamentally entangled fraudulent from the start where if they had, it would have become clear. The game would have been up, right? So the only option was to dig deeper and hopefully they get to the other side. And that's what's happened. What it's become clear is that from the very get-go, this was not like at some point they decided to go perpetrate fraud. It was the way that it was designed was not even fraudulent, like ignoring the norms of yeah. of fraud and human behavior from from the very beginning. So there was never any chance to disentangle these things because they were so elementally entangled. Yeah. The um. So he was just fucked. Basically, there's nothing he could have. There's nothing he could have <laughs> said on Slack that he. But could based have... on himself, like like I think that your point is a student thing. Like it's like it it. It wasn't immediately clear why. Like it wasn't immediately clear why not just let like let the dying limb like you know yep. be severed type of thing. But but in hindsight, it's clearer that but there's from uh, a crisis comps perspective, it was just putting lipstick on a pig. Like it was already done. Like there was nothing he could have said on Slack earlier that would have made you guys feel better. Oh, oh I mean, so the the company was it was a foregone conclusion once money started moving out and once CZ sent that tweet. Uh, it, with with the with how impaired it was in ways that we didn't know that that we were gone. Um, Sam, his only chance was to convince another set of investors to put in enough that the hole was patched for long enough to regain confidence. Um, to the extent, though, that you are asking, uh, you know, uh, for for people who find themselves in future crisis situations that weren't predicated on their unbelievable fraud, I do think that there are. A leader in Sam's position uh, could have communicated radically differently to the community and to markets. You know, like he, he did himself no favors. I think, listen, there. if he had checked in every hour on Slack and said, I'm so sorry, still no updates, but I'm here, like everyone would have felt 500% better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so it's just, you can't ghost. It's, it is the number. Ghosting, ghosting is the thing, especially if that's not your personality. It was just like, yeah. it's just like so oh, stark. So it immediately yeah. put everyone on complete edge. Um, seeing that, um, you know, I've been reading some pieces about like his brother's involvement and his, his parents' involvement. Like these are all accusations. Maybe we'll be proved, maybe we'll be not. And, and some of the political stuff. Um, but but also many employees who um, are embroiled, embroiled, especially at the top. Uh, I know you're not, so I don't want to be very clear. But the, the, but the, the question that I have is, did, I agree with you that you should not become this paranoid person who asks all these weird questions when you think of any job. But do you think at all differently as it relates to like your work email or things you see on Slack or just like when you see that some things that people said in work emails or Slacks are like in being involved in the federal investigation now, just does it imbue you with any other habits that you would like let someone know about now who uh, is so, not necessarily guilty of anything, but just yeah, in general. So I, I, I'm, I, I don't say this to like pat myself on the back, but I like the, the night before everything, like the night before I resigned, because I, I was resigned. I resigned basically on Friday morning before the bankruptcy was declared. And um, the only reason I didn't resign on on Thursday night was we were in the air and stuff. But I, I had had one conversation uh, that, that I won't get too much into detail with uh, with with someone who is sort of not not Sam or any of that inner circle, but close enough that it's pretty clear that there was nothing to be done. Like there's, I had no value to add. There was no process that we were going to be a part of. That it was 
it, there's just nothing, nothing more than, that I could do. And so, um, I, I went through all of the communication that I'd ever had. And, you know, to some extent it's like, I was only ever dealing, like if the feds want to know about our Super Bowl strategy, I'm certainly happy to help with that. <laughs> but like, you know, part, part of it's just, you know, by virtue of what I was, but it's, but I also was like, I, I don't mind anyone reading any of these emails. Like it just sort of like, you know, it, and I think that the, the the lesson is a stupid basic one, but it's just like the more that you can act with sort of, you know, integrity to yourself, like the less, yeah. you know, like you it, it felt, about. yeah, it was, it was yeah. very comforting to recheck that that night and Thursday in the airport, the BA airport waiting for a you know, 12 hour like, flight and be I'm like, worried about this. whatever. Yeah. I don't even need to, like, I don't even feel yeah, like yeah. I need to save any of these things. You know, did you like, get a text? Did did you get a text from Larry David being like, what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) I do have one more detailed (laughs) question, which is who do you resign to? Like some operations person, like who, like, is there this mass? I resign, I resign to Twitter. So (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So, so like, but this is a really perfunctory question, which is like, is there, are people just like quitting everywhere? Like who do you send an email to being like, I'm out. Like I told the general counsel of the U S who I knew was trying to get Sam to relinquish control. Yeah. That makes sense. Which is yeah. weird. A lawyer, the closest, the closest lawyer you can find was, was my answer. No, but so, so I, but I, I do want to go back to your, there. There's a really important thing though, in the, in the in terms of like this question of like, uh, so behave different is one thing, but like view things differently, right? If we're, if we're, we're saying you can't be hyper paranoid. I think that the, the behavior that was I not even just out of sync with, uh, with, with a startup, um, but is, is something that even, even if someone who is sort of totally above board has this behavior, it, it is really nerve wracking in that sort of position of power was the fact that Sam surrounded himself by people who didn't challenge him, like, and who were sycophantic and obsessed with him. And, you know, it wasn't yeah. just, it wasn't just his sort of the, the, the close compadres of people who have, you know, now, Pled, pled guilty to various charges, although they were certainly of that as well. It was like a number of the folks on the legal team. And like when you see someone hiring like lawyers whose job it is to challenge everything and like push and, you know, whatever you like when you're the CEO, you know that you have especially of a startup, you have total power. Like you get to say yes or no to to everything. Ultimately, that power should make you more, not less, willing to hear other viewpoints and to be challenged. And I think that to the extent that there was an extractable lesson, and this is something I noticed, I didn't like that Sam always had these people who are so sycophantic and and kind of you know whatever around. I think that's part of why I was so excited when Brett came in because he was very much not like that. Although as he's revealed, he was almost instantly put on the outs because of that. Uh, and had his, you know, Sam threatened to destroy his career uh, just for challenging his authority. Uh, but that is, that was a, a genuine red flag of this is a person where the, the megalomania runs deeper than it should in, in this context. Is, is your read that after this, uh, you know, the Binance acquisition fell through that of Sam, that he was just trying to save his reputation and thus do a media tour to, to try to, uh, win in the hearts of media, even though he knew he was facing legal persecution. Um, maybe a little bit. I think that, I think that Sam has, uh, I, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know how to diagnose it, but I think that he has a delusion that genuinely he is smarter 
and better than everyone else in the world at basically everything which is why he's so convincing yeah like and he believes in beyond a shadow of a doubt and i really think my best explanation for all of this behavior is i think that he so he i do not believe that he was using all of this sort of effective altruism stuff to gain power for himself and to gain wealth I believe that he genuinely wanted to go change the world, but I think it comes from a pernicious place of somehow convincing himself that he was the only person who could, that everyone was so deficient in their politics and so pathetic in their, I mean, you see that when, when that one reporter got to him when he thought he was off the record, it was like this mask being peeled back where he was just, he was, he was just a ball of cynicism this and 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 and, and i just imagine i said this on on one of my podcasts i just imagine him sitting there being so convinced that everyone else in the world was just too scared to do what he did and that of course the rules are wrong and there's no such thing as ethics or morals there's just power and who's willing to be bold enough to be like like really convinced even now until probably the fucking day he dies that he just happened to 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 get caught this time but he'd do it again a hundred times and and only Mm -hmm. people who like like speaking of in the arena that like this in this man in the arena to the extreme instead of thinking that there might be a possibility that other people every single day of their lives when confronted with real moral or ethical quandaries decide to do a thing that is right based on society standards or based on their inside and that they're it's not that they don't see that there's this power game that they could play it's that they choose not to you know yeah. and, and i just i my best explanation of course i you know i don't know i'm not a psychologist and i spent basically no time with him but i really think that he thought that if he didn't save the world, yeah. um, no one would. And I think I actually think though that to take it into another interesting dimension that's worth, I believe, exploring more societally. That's not just Sam. It is not surprising to me that he was rooted in a community that has gotten sort of like doom porn obsessed with AI misalignment. And, and, and I think that it foreshadows in some ways, and I think this might be one of the scarier parts or just something that to really hone in on. We are going to have massive societal debates that like dwarf these issues of crypto that that we've been living in around what society looks like in a, in a post AI world and, and, and how scared to be in and what ways and where optimism versus pessimism comes in. And the EA community in many ways got to that kind of faster than other communities got to into that conversation. And the response for many of them has been to basically feel like there's no other, like if you don't work on that issue, you're, you're like, you're literally wasting your time. It is the existential issue for all of humanity. And there's a bit of that sort of, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's like, we need a different word than even just megalomania. Just it's like being so convinced that that yeah. the world doesn't get that this is the only thing to be spending time on and nothing else matters yeah. and pales in comparison. So I think I think there's a, a little bit here and th- some people have been talking about this, but I, I think we need to talk more about it. It's a warning shot to us a little bit of of what, you know, uh, of some really important conversations that we need to have coming up. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's a great insight into what, what's at stake. Um, a couple closing thoughts here. And, and, and Jesse, feel free to jump as well. On, on my end, one, I'm curious after Sam serves his sentence, whatever that is, 
what do you think he does next? What's the next chapter in his life? And then I'm also curious how you, how you uh, how you conceive of the role that Carolyn or Gary have played. Did they trust him until the end, and then they you know had to save themselves? Um, or like, so we realize that both things are speculation, but of course, <laughs> please. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all deserve to be able to speculate a little bit at this point. Yes. Um, on the second question, um, I mean, from all that I've read, it sounds like. I guess maybe instead of speculating too much, I'll just kind of repeat what it seemed like and what maybe the natural conclusions from that were. It seems like Carolyn acted like she felt unburdened for the first time. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's entirely possible that she kind of got into a situation that she was just, you know, in over her head and, but, but willing, you know, every time she could have maybe stepped out, she chose not to. And, um, I think that it seems like Nishad had much a similar reaction of, of really like maybe even not understanding how cynical Sam was about it. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, I wonder about their relationship a little bit because Nishad was one of the very few people that Sam actually listened to. Nishad was the head of engineering, but at the same time, he was like his younger brother's close friend from school. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much hero, like there might've been just enough hero worship that, you know, Sam respected Nishad's opinion about certain things, but, you know, not in a way that challenged him. Gary, it sounded like, got lawyered up in the hell out of the Bahamas immediately. And no one knows anything about Gary. So, you know, but he was, it sounded like, I mean, the, from what I've read, like literally there were lawyers there by like Wednesday and Gary was like, I'm, I'm gone. Uh, so he clearly knew that, that he had been a part of something wrong. Um, so, so, uh, you know, I, I it's it feels to me perhaps and i'll connect this to a point that i was making before that even with those close confidants it was still people that sam was able to really really control you know yeah. uh yeah. and and sort of be the dominant influence in their life over over even their own sort of guiding sense of of uh of rightness or whatever um in terms of your your first question uh of what I think Sam's What's next, next play to is, is like in his I, LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I I hope it's teaching basic trading in jail for the next yeah. seventy years. <laughs> or maybe he like does. You know, I feel like the cool jobs for like previous criminals are like you know you go work like you, the FBI taps you for like what are other fraudsters working on. I don't know. Those are like the cool the cool next jobs. Um, uh, but I I have this term that I use for myself. Um charismatic mega founders uh i don't know if you know the term charismatic megafauna about like the big cute mammals like um <laughs> bears and uh elephants like those are the ones always used to raise money and so that's what where that's where the doc connects for me i feel like some of these founders are charismatic mega founders where like they go out they're raising gobs of money it's just like how an elephant can raise an elephant family can raise gobs of money for a zoo um and then but it's like uh that was their skill like, like and i'm not trying to paint as like that's the only skill but it's just really interesting to question like why we follow certain people and who they surround themselves with. I thought that was an amazing point that you made, like pay attention to who they surround themselves with. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you were kind of intimating a point when I was sort of on one of my, one of my rants, which is like when someone is utterly convinced in their mission, even if it comes from a place of literal delusion, they can be yeah. highly compelling from like, totally. like that level of conviction is something that, you know, investors pattern recognize. It's appealing. It's, yeah. yeah. And it's especially because in a world of risk, like humans have to take risk, but what makes us comfortable with taking risk is conviction. 
And yeah. so when someone has enough conviction for everyone in the, like the next three States, even if yeah. it's born of this, this incredible place, you know, so it, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we could have a whole different conversation about venture capitalists and pattern matching and why, you know, challenging pattern recognition, not just sort of leaning into it might be a, a good, a good thing for, for, <laughs> for the world. But yeah, there's, it's, 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 it's certainly not as crazy as it might seem that so many people were, were sort of sucked in by this. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe in closing, this has been devastating to, uh, to obviously uh, all, all the employees uh, you uh, included. H how, did, how did you rebuild, rebuild momentum, rebuild confidence? Uh, you know, how did you bounce back from, from being so burned? I mean, I, I'm I'm very lucky that I you know I didn't wasn't one of these employees who had my my whole life you know into yeah. it so like tragic. I I kind of I never lost myself in it though like and I, I was just fortunate like you know because I've always had this podcast that was I mean a weird thing for a lot of people in FTX that I was like why when you're on this rocket ship would you also be wasting time doing this other little, little sure. podcast or whatever you know for a lot of people it was like so weird but i was able to just kind of shift shift back into that and there were all these yeah. things that i had sort of put on pause or deferred for a couple of years to see where this journey led that um i sort of just jumped right back into that but like i said i was, I was super fortunate relative to to a lot of folks and uh you know i, I think feel very grateful for that even even in the yeah. context of a of a pretty tough few months well yeah nathaniel thank thank you for for sharing your story of being in the arena with us it's a, a hell of a journey uh for, for sure we highly recommend that people check out your uh episode sam bankman fraud uh on the breakdown and just your your podcast in general which gives a great overview uh thanks so much for for joining us nathaniel. yeah thank glad you to so be here. much thanks for listening to in the arena if you enjoyed the conversation, please like, subscribe, and share by leaving us a review and telling everyone you know. And please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at inthearena underscore pod. We'd love your suggestions on who else has an intense experience to share.